here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. What's up, guys? Happy weekend. Maybe start of the week. Depends when you're listening to this, I guess. Uh, Dylan DeChair here, and welcome to the drop zone. We've got a little bit of a different thing going on today. Um, fresh off a week or 10 days, really, in Scotland, which was glorious. You can listen to a, a sleepy post-open podcast uh, if you keep listening after this episode, I guess, that I recorded with St. Andrew's host, Sean Zock. Um, but it's just me today and special guest, Eddie Pepperell. We've been threatening to have Eddie on for a while. Uh, I've known Eddie a little bit, exchanged a bunch of emails with him, actually, for a golf.com story a couple of years back. And Eddie is, you know, a, a popular figure in the golf Twitter sphere. He's a, a free thinker and he's been in the headlines actually recently, not so much for his play uh, as much as he would like, but because he's a thoughtful guy on the state of the game. So I figured this would be as good a time to have him on as any. Um, we talked about Liv a bunch. We talked about Eddie, his perspective, his struggles and successes on the golf course. Uh, we got into, talked a little bit about COVID, which is certainly outside uh, the comfort zone of this typical podcast. But, you know, I really just tried to lay out and let Eddie have the floor because whether you agree with him or not, I'm sure you're going to agree with some things he says, not necessarily agree with others. But uh, hearing his thought process, hearing how he goes about all of it, you know, it's just really interesting. There's not too many figures like him in the game. So without further ado, I will say visit radmoregolf.com. This week's presenting sponsor, the best golf clothes in the game. I'm going to keep this ad rate as short as possible and tell you to go to radmorgolf.com. Enter code DROPZONE for 25% off at checkout. Please do it in return. I'll end this ad read right now and send you to Eddie Pepperell. All right, Eddie Pepperell joining me from the Kazoo Classic. Is that right? I think so. I think there's a few kazoos uh, going on this year. It's a good job their CEO likes golf. Yeah. Um, you're back in the headlines, Eddie. What What have you done now? Well, I wouldn't have thought it's got much to do with my golf because it's been pretty poor. Um, so um, I don't know. I'm guessing it's something to do with my Twitter, but I'll let you tell me. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. You have been weighing in on the the live golf i don't even know what to call it anymore the controversy i guess is the easiest way to say it on henrik stenson leaving um i do want to talk about your golf i really do and dive in but i figure let's just start right with the hot button issues what do you make of all of this what do you make of the state of golf how do you feel about it well i think there's a lot to think about with with regards to live you know there's there's so many uh I mean, there's so many points of view with regards to players that have gone with what it means now, what it means into the future. Um, you know, obviously different players have different reasons for going and we could probably group, um, you know, a good bunch of them together and, and you know, whatnot. But um, yeah, from my perspective, it's obviously, I think, unfortunate for the game professionally because it's going to further fragment uh, the top professional golf, which you know, for years, there's obviously been a big criticism anyway that the, the top players don't come together frequently enough. So, um, you know, this this doesn't make that more likely. This makes that less likely. 
um, as far as I can see. And that's unfortunate for the game. It's unfortunate for the players who want to play against the best more regularly. And it's obviously unfortunate for the fans. So it's a negative on that front. And then obviously you've got people who say, well, you know, how, how can we not all coexist and, and work together? But, you know, if you run that through, um, it's kind of impossible to see how that happens either because obviously the PGA Tour, like the DP World Tour, have their own ambitions. They have to fulfil their own... Um, well, fulfill their own obligations to their sponsors, right? And make the product as good as it can be for the sponsors that are involved. And then live come in on top, which, you know, and, and my understanding is speaking to people who have been uh, in, an, in, in and around the negotiations or the talks, they tell me that, you know, live were very um, steadfast on their uh, idea and their vision of having 14 events. And, you know, if we know as people, certainly players and, and like yourself in the, in the industry and, in, know that these top guys they're not going to play 14 live events plus four majors plus any other golf tournaments i mean not even close to the amount that's going to keep the sponsors happy or satisfied whether whether it's the pga tour or the dp world tour i mean you know it's obvious so um there really is no way in my opinion that three entities can coexist in the, at the top professional game of golf unfortunately so you know consequently we get a very fragmented and divisive atmosphere and uh you know obviously i've contributed to that with some of the things i've said but i've just expressed my disappointments with you know um the guys who have gone across and you know obviously most recently henrik but you know that was specifically kind of aimed at his you know, decision as it also relates to the Ryder cup and, and the way that's all come about which i think is is extremely disappointing um in the manner and the fashion that that's all unfolded but uh yeah that's kind of loosely and broadly where i'm at with it um Dylan, but uh, you know we can obviously dive in as well i think there are yeah. many specifics you know to go from well let's start with henrik just because he was the the latest shoe to drop and i think that that hit a particular chord because a he's the Ryder cup captain b he had said specifically that he wasn't going to go because he was the Ryder cup captain and i guess the fact that he was then sacrificing his Ryder cup captaincy knowingly really made this like a stark decision of okay uh, what the Ryder Cup represents versus obviously taking the money. Um, what was it about that that struck a chord with you? Well, I think it's a, it's very disrespectful ultimately to the Ryder Cup. You know, I, I mean, um, the surprising thing to me was that Henrik was rumored, you know, months and months ago as, as being one of the live guys, if you like. So it, it seemed strange and odd at the time that he actually took the captaincy. That was what I recall thinking, you know, I wasn't expecting Henrik. Um, I put him in the same boat as Westwood or Poulter and that they're not going to be given the captaincy because they're going to go across the live. So when he took it, I was surprised. And obviously from that, you know, took that he's not going to be going to live certainly before the Ryder cup. Um, then it opens up the door that, you know, I saw Jamie Weir posted a tweet about, you know, the cynic in you wonders if he used it as a bargaining chip to get more money. And, you know, that's um, what you thought of that. Well, listen, that's entirely, I think, a reasonable, I don't think that's that, that much of a cynical um, viewpoint, to be honest. You know, we've seen it with Phil, um, you know, delaying, I think, his signing on. You know, a lot of the guys have clearly played, a, you know, a, a relatively clever negotiation tactic. But obviously, they're aware that, the, the, you know, the, the, the money on offer is so enormous that it just requires a little bit of negotiation and you could probably get an extra five or ten million. Um it sounds like a lot of money to us, but 
for the Saudis is really just a drop in the ocean. So, um, yeah, I don't think that's that cynical a point of view at all. And, and that's possibly what happened. And um, listen, I mean, that, that is me obviously speculating a little bit there, but I could see how Henrik, would, why he would do that. And, um, you know, given that the rumours were so strong months ago and it's clear he was always going to live, um, that would make sense. Do you begrudge other players leaving? Do you think that it's uh, bad for a bad thing for the game or, or a bad thing for the world or something that they shouldn't be doing? Or do you kind of just understand that, you know, it is what it is and, and money talks and it makes sense to be a part of a, a venture like this, given the sums being thrown around? Listen, you know, obviously we can all understand it. Um, the sense I get is a lot of these guys have are approaching a bit of an earnings cliff. They've been used to earning a lot of money. And I think um, they've built lifestyles around their earnings. Some of them obviously have, have had life experiences that have meant they've lost money along the way as well. And so these opportunities, this opportunity that's come along is going to be um, you know, doubly interesting to some of them who, who are going to be you know, extremely well remunerated and obviously re- able to recover losses throughout their careers through many different ways, in many different ways. I mean, so I can understand it. The unfortunate thing in my opinion is that they've benefited from structures and the systems that have been in place for 20 to 25 years they've done very very well out of it um these guys are not in any way financially you know they've, they've been financially very well rewarded for for their efforts as professional golfers on and off the golf course so so you know it's a little i find it a little disappointing that they would that a lot of these guys would reach the end of their careers and choose to take this path when in my opinion it looks fairly apparent that you're going to damage um in, to some degree we don't know yet but certainly the structures that were in place namely the pga tour and the dp world tour the european tour obviously as it was formerly known um you know they're going to be damaged in a way that that i think is unfortunate and these guys have all benefited and, and i think that is from a legacy aspect disappointing um you would think that you know that these tours meant a bit more to the guys and you know, also on that earnings cliff comment, a lot of these guys were going to be being paid off a pension from the BJ Tour. They were going to be having access to the Champions Tour. For, three, for a few years now, I've been kind of excited myself about what the Champions Tour would look like in a few years' time because you're going to have a lot of really good popular players, or I thought, go across, but obviously now that doesn't look likely. So to me, you know, these are all self-serving decisions. Totally understand it. The money on offer is just in- incredible, but ultimately the game is going to suffer for it it's going to become more fragmented and you know this is all happening it's spearheaded by guy who's clearly in greg norman who who has a very vengeful streak in him towards the pga tour and it's funded by you know a public investment fund or sovereign wealth fund effectively of of a state that obviously has questionable from a questionable background so i think there's lots of ways you can look at it but ultimately it is you know i am disappointed in all of them and and i'm somewhat you know, exasperated as to understand why anyone who's under the age of 35 would go. Um, you know, that to me just is a, is a bit of a bizarre decision. Admittedly, there haven't been too many that have gone, but, um, you know, I can't quite fathom why anyone young and up and coming would, would even think about it. Yeah. Well, then there may be, you know, a few more in the, in the uh, coming days and weeks here, but I guess the, yeah. the immediate pushback, and I've seen this already, like in comments to you is like, well, Eddie, if they gave you, if they paid you, you'd go in a heartbeat. So it's easy to, you know, 
throw rocks when you're not even being offered or whatever it is. So Eddie, I'm offering you here four years, let's say $20 million to go join uh, live. Would you do it? No, I wouldn't do it. You know, I, I wouldn't do it. Um, I, I don't know why it's so difficult for some people to imagine that some people would turn this down. Um, I wouldn't do it for the very things I've just talked about. It's, I mean, I've never played golf for money. You know, I've sacrificed money to get people into tournaments via invites. You know, I've sacrificed money from, you know, I've had sponsorship offers from a very closely related organization to what we see. And I've turned it down because now that's me making a judgment that I, you know, a judgment call that I'm entitled to make just as these guys are. I've personally never done anything in this game for money. Um, but the money is a, a byproduct of playing good golf and crikey, like as I just described and as even I've experienced in my own career when, when I've done well, you know, we've earned a lot of money. So it's, um, you know, I, I personally wouldn't do it. I, I have, I have uh, you know, I, I think differently clearly about the damage that would be being caused uh, if I was in that kind of position, what I would be doing to the tours that I think of, well, ultimately the European tour, which has given me a great opportunity you know, for the last decade and which I always dreamed of playing on. And, you know, to think that, yeah, I would be doing something that would, that would cause significant commercial damage to that would, would is something that I would think long and hard about. And ultimately I'm very, I'm almost 100% sure I would come down on the side of not accepting any, you know, to go and play a tour that ultimately is not going to have any uh, competitive advantage, put it that way. Clearly there are some very good players that have gone across you know, and there's no one denying that. I mean, Sergio and Henrik, they're two of my favorite golfers. Um, I love watching their games, but you know, this is a this is an uncompetitive format. It's an unmeritocratic system. It's um, it's really nothing that I think the game of golf should represent, and indeed has represented, you know, through history. And I'm very much on the side of somebody like Martin Slumbers, or maybe even was Peter Dawson who described it as that way. You know, that's certainly how I feel very strongly about that. You played the Saudi International. What was it in 2019, maybe? And uh, yeah, you had some kind of thoughtful comments about it at the time uh why why did you play it then do you think of it at all differently now and do you think that that's at all related to this conversation i think if it's related it's only loosely related i mean in the sense that it's you know it was because it was in saudi arabia listen i never got paid to go there so even though i was doing mm -hmm. well at the time wherever i was in the world certainly top 50 at that point i never got paid it was i simply went because i was in abu dhabi and then dubai and i thought well you know it's my third week there's going to be a great field um i actually hated the week primarily because i couldn't drink any alcohol um so i just i had i had a terrible time um i uh i couldn't wait to get home and i missed the cut and, and i remember playing with lee westwood and patrick reed i think me and lee both missed the cut and we we couldn't wait to get on the next flight home and a few of the guys were on that plane and we were just delighted to get out of there i mean so you know i did play that tournament and from from memory i wrote a blog and i haven't re i haven't reread what I wrote, but um, I recall defending a lot of people for going, you know, because for a lot of guys, they would have been who weren't being paid to go there. Uh, had they chosen to take a moral stance against Saudi Arabia and not gone for that reason, well, nobody would have cared 10 months after the fact. And there may have been, there may have been a guy or two who, by not going to that tournament, may have missed their card or missed race to Dubai by a point because they've made a moral decision that ultimately no one's going to really care about. So, you know, I, all Casey did, I think that year, in fact, yeah. right. Well, there you go. Paul did. So, well, to many people's surprise, he's, um, he's obviously done a full 180. Um, 
yeah so uh, I you know listen I, I kind of defended them but I also recall criticizing well not criticizing but you know making the differentiation in that blog about the guys who were being paid large sums to go and those who weren't um and I think it's not that relevant because you know playing one tournament like Keith Pelley's alluded to that one tournament was it, it, it fit in it was a part of a it was part of the schedule right they were fitting in it was very much just a little you know, part of the schedule and of course it could well have grown and I think there was an option for there to be more Saudi involvement part of the European DP World Tour and it but it, it would always would have just been a, an ancillary part to the schedule but what we see here and with Liv that is not that you know it's it's a it's a complete departure and it's it is a threat so um it, it to me is entirely different you know playing one tournament which is part of a schedule is, is entirely different to playing you know a whole new a whole new tournament series of 14 events obviously i think that's pretty apparent for most people to see has this consumed conversation on the dp world tour kind of day-to-day is this something that you talk to other guys about um whether they're considering it or just sort of observing it from the outside yeah, no, a lot of people do talk about it. And obviously with the nature of the announcements that are being made <clears throat> from Liv, you know, it's it's cleverly done. You know, you you wonder who is um, in charge of the marketing, who's in charge of the messaging, because they are, it's like uh, they're trying to deal the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour a slow death, you know, by a thousand paper cuts, really. And um, I think as, as a consequence, you know, we, we are, we're often talking about it and, you um, I think, and also joking about it. You know, I, I, I joked yesterday about obviously holding the three iron and that upping my value by a few million. And uh, there's lots of little jokes going on. I mean, a lot of people can see some of the funnier side to it as well. But um, yeah, no, it, it is very much you know, all consuming. And, and you know, I saw Keith Mitchell talk about it a few weeks ago at the Scottish Open where he said it's all he was thinking about waking up and going to bed. And mm-hmm. I had a little period, I had a couple, I had a kind of two week period at the beginning where it was, it was, I very much felt that way and and I just I was knackered by it all and, and sick of it frankly but um you know now I, I don't feel as much emotion towards it but um certainly you know it's it's an interesting thing to observe witness and obviously I'm part of the golfing world if you like so um you know it it, it does it does uh, interest me yeah do you, do you th- what do you what do you think specifically it is that is sickening about it because I think people have had a lot of different emotional and visceral reactions to i don't know the current state of golf i guess and i've i've been trying to the only thing i've really settled on for sure is that this is all complex and it's all kind of thorny and and you know you can sort of rebut any one little part of it but then you know overall the sum of it makes people feel a certain way do you think it's do you think it's just the tearing down of golf's existing institutions for money is that is that kind of what you've settled on as what's giving you that kind of sickened reaction or, or is it something else? Yeah, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. Really. I, I think on the whole, it is that, um, you know, we had a similar proposal in, in the UK with the premier league last year. I think it was called the mm-hmm. European super league. I want to say from memory. And yeah. it was a similar proposal in that the top clubs were, I'm going to say conspiring or they'd conspire to all come together and kind of create this super league across Europe, which, you know, in this country caused a massive um, revolt in the in the world of sport and football, especially. And to me, this is tantamount to that, you know, because it's not like going and buying a football club or going and sponsoring a Formula One team. It, they are effectively, in my opinion, trying to kind of buy a sport here and remodel and reshape the sport. And I think that that is ultimately 
well, depending on the idea, depending on the funding, depending on lots of different factors could be a good thing. But I think when you consider the funding streams, when you consider the way it's being done, when you consider who's spearheading it and the name and Greg Norman, and we know what he thinks of the PGA Tour, I, I, it does leave a bit pretty bitter taste in my mouth. And when you consider the guys who have, you know, by and large gone straight off the bat, they're the kind of people we would expect to go, given their status in the game, given their historic lust for money. And, you know, the, 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 none of these things are surprising and, and none of them sit particularly well with me. Um, and I just think, yeah, ripping up the, the meritocratic nature of golf is, is, would be a disaster. You know, for, long, for a long time, I've, I've kind of railed against the idea, actually, of a world tour because I think we would end up with a similar problem that tennis faces whereby and it wouldn't be as extreme as tennis but it, it would be more to that degree whereby you know more wealth accrues in the hands of the relative few and you know this is a conversation beyond golf it's a very much a, a conversation societies have every election cycle right because you know, the distribution of wealth is obviously one of the most important factors when it comes to politics and, and how society functions and you know to my mind, golf has golf sits on one end of the spectrum, quite to a quite significant and surprising degree, certainly as, a, an, in, as an in, individual sport, in that wealth is very broad. The wealth distribution mm -hmm. in golf is actually very broad, certainly when you compare it to tennis. And, you know, that's unusual. And, and we could certainly have the discussion as to whether, you know, we need to create a product as a sport that actually changes that a little bit, that improves the product a bit more. And that would be a world tour where we get, you know, the better guys, the best in the world together more, more frequently. Now, a natural, in my opinion, a net, a net outcome of that would be that there would be less wealth spread through the game of golf, which could be fine, providing that it's, you know, you're not spreading it and you're not then tightening into the hands of squeezing it into the hands of just 50 guys, which this is where I think Liv gets it wrong, because we're talking about 48 guys. You know, we're going from one extreme to the other here. and that to me would be that's that's such a significant departure from where we are as a sport that I think it would be a massive negative. And, you know, like I say, when I add that, that to the fact when you consider who's involved, where the funding's coming from initially, all this other stuff, it, it to me just it, I don't find it attractive, an attractive proposition or an idea at all. No. Yeah, I thought it was interesting and I got yelled at a lot on, on Twitter for this yesterday. But the fact that Charles Howell is going over um, a guy who. I mean, look, I, I understand it for all the reasons we've discussed. He's coming off uh, his worst year on the PGA Tour. He's not getting any younger, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that Charles Howell, who has never really been a household name outside of golf fans, um, who's, he's never been on a Ryder Cup team. He, he, he won three times. He had a boatload of top tens, but never really cracked into that upper echelon and accrued, you know, 40 something million dollars over 20 years, not crazy for, uh, a sports star in another sport, but certainly pretty solid, regular earnings. He, I thought he was sort of the poster boy for, Hey, you can, you can live a good life on the PGA tour and still go out to dinner without being recognized. And so the fact that even he is then seeing this as, you know, the financial advantage, the place to go, et cetera, et cetera. And, and didn't feel any extra loyalty to the PGA tour. I, I was trying not to pass judgment on it. I just thought that that was interesting and noteworthy and also probably not a good sign for the PGA tour. Yeah. 
Um, I agree with you. Dylan. Um, you know, <laughs> there's I, no you, question. You're gonna, there's, yeah, yeah it's no, just a statement. You know, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I agree with everything you said. So it is interesting, and, and it, it is, it is worrying. You know, on on, I suppose the first order effects here. You think this looks more damaging to the PGA Tour, and I and I think it is uh, in the initial term, the way it seems to be shaping up, because obviously it's the PGA Tour generally who are losing their stars you know we, we haven't really had them on this tour for a good few years certainly since the pandemic so um but obviously you know any anyone would also know that down the road that's going to have an impact on this tour especially with the new um relationship we have with the pga tour you know it can't go on forever so if things keep deteriorating and getting worse for the pga tour so you know i i mean it, it is alarming although i you know i would i would come back and say as long as Really, in my opinion, as long as I don't think we've re we've reached a critical mass yet, um, and even if you get a couple of guys, I mean, obviously that we're going to mention some names now who've been rumoured, like Cameron Smith or Hideki mm -hmm. or Patrick Cantley. Those three names have been rumoured heavily over here. I think if two of those three were to go, then then we do have a significant problem. Um, as as I think the PJ Tour has a really significant problem. Uh, and so does the game, because obviously, you know, you've got a Japanese Masters winner um, who brings a huge amount of commercial interest into the sport from Japan. And obviously Cam, who's just won. So and Patrick Canley, who's just won the FedEx Cup. So those three guys, yeah. if, if we then start losing people like that, then, you know, really, it seems to me that we could be approaching the critical mass stage and um, things could get very messy. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Cam certainly did not deny anything after the, uh, after the open win. And then as the players champion, that would be a tough blow. Cantley, I would be yeah. still a little bit more surprised, but he's a tough nut to crack. Um, Eddie, let's talk about you a little bit though. I, I, you know, some people, some close fans of the drop zone here will, uh, will remember our email exchange from what, I guess, two years ago at this point. Um, you've had a, a roller coaster on course, uh, stretch of your career since then bunch of missed cuts some better form as of late but um what has this last two years been like for you as eddie the golfer uh it's been a oh it's been a really on the whole frustrating period um i'd say I'm, i'd say that i'm beyond anger and frustration at this point certainly the earlier part of this year um you know it was more i've just been doing things in my game that have led to more demoralization or me feeling more demoralized than any than anything else because you know when I lost my card back in 2016 and actually that that's kind of probably fairly enlightening to some people as well because you know shortly before really playing some of my best golf and indeed doing all right in the players for example you know I'd lost my card in Europe so I've you know my career could be you know I've had some pretty significant fluctuations pre 2017, 18, 19, um, and obviously before now too, we're including them now. So, um, you know, I think it, it's not, it's not unusual. I know how to handle it. Um, but this, you know, period of the last 18 months has been characterized by just, um, doing the odd thing where it like shanking a shot, shanking a bunk shot, completely fatting 70 yards out and making double bogey from nowhere. And, you know, I've, I've gotten the ball pretty well off the tee. You know, I've improved certain areas of my game that were always my problem and they're no longer my problem, but I've, I've lost what I've lost the spark I used to have as a golfer and that, and, and I've kind of replaced it with the odd 
horrendous golf shot that you wouldn't even expect a 12 year old to do so that's been the demoralizing part and it's just been costing me because you know at the margins i've been getting all wrong and doing the parts of the game that you need to do well i've just i've i've just not if i'm being quite honest and um that's why what do you I've attribute that to what do you attribute those those big mistakes or those lapses to well mostly technique you know i'm a big believer in technique i think golf is especially as also you know those those areas of the game i mean they are most about technique if it was off the tee or on the greens or around the greens i would be thinking this could be psychological but you know when you're shanking bunker shots when you're not even nervous or when you're shanking 80 yard shots or completely fatting shots with a lob wedge it's and you're not you're not thinking about anything other than just the golf shot it's very difficult to attribute that to anything other than just poor technique and then you know obviously i can see on the camera um that it is technique you know i am in some very different positions uh, into impact than i once was and so you know to me that's the that's the obvious answer and i'm pretty certain on that and i have made amends and uh things are getting better on those fronts you know i will say um but unfortunately there's still a fair bit of hangover and um you know it's just uh that's where i'm at with my game i don't i right now i don't feel too far away at all um but um you know it's it's yeah, I probably need just just a good week. Or I need to get in contention for a week, and then I suspect my my confidence will come back and you know become an addition to the to the good work I've done really over the last few months. But um, yeah, if that answers, if that if that's been an answer, then um, yeah, I hope it has. <laughs> what uh, I mean, well, well, let's get specific. You're currently at the halfway point of the Kazoo Open. It's Friday afternoon for you right now. Friday morning here in Seattle. You are last I checked, maybe tied thirty first. Um, how are you playing right now? And then what does it feel like right now just to be, you know, at the edge of contention on the weekend? Um, I didn't play well today. Um, but again, if I look at my stats today, I, I was one of the best off the tee. Um, and I was decent on the greens, although I hold nothing statistically, I was pretty good. I'm holding out. Well, now those are the two things when I wind the clock back to 2018 2017 where I actually felt like I played some of my best golf was at the end of 2017 my big two weaknesses were always getting off the tee and short range putting but but I was absolutely dynamite once I was on the fairway um and kind of with my approach playing around the greens and that's what led to me playing some of my best golf and getting higher up in the world so I've I've done a complete flip reverse on on my game mm. and you know it 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 basically complements what I've all, what I've thought for years now about the guys who are the best in the world. And Tiger was the, obviously the, the ultimate example of this, that you, when you're in play, you want to be, you want to be a great iron player and you want to be great around the greens that it goes so far. I know people talk about driving and putting, but to me, the iron play is where the, the magic is at in golf. And um, that's something I used to do really well. Something that I'm, I'm really not doing it good at all on occasions at the moment, certainly. So today was a perfect example of that. And, uh, just made a lot of silly bogeys and you know, you, you end up, you just, you should be three or four shots better than you are coming off the course. And to do that day in day out, which I've kind of have been doing, obviously it's pretty demoralizing over time. What's your relationship like with practice and with golf in general? Do you, do you love golf and has that changed at all during, you know, the downtimes? Uh, thankfully I've, I've not fallen out of love with the process um, of practice and trying to figure it out. You know, golf to me has always been a puzzle. I think it's such a challenging 
sport you know and there's so many puzzles parts of the puzzle that you've got to figure out and solve whether it's off the tee or irons or putting you know they're all little games within games and, and i i've often thought that you know if you're a thinker like me then that's a great challenge you know because you've, you've kind of got to figure it out and invariably over time i think smart people do figure it out but um i also think there's been a relationship there's been a physical um there's been a physical problem and I, I will say it's kind of i mean i had a really bad back injury at the end of 2018 and as i look back now i've had a much ever since that back injury i've kind of had a my backswing fundamentally changed and i've had a much harder time getting my right leg straight and the backswing and so you know it when you have a physical problem that can become much more depressing over time because your body's just not responding and functioning in a way that you knew it used to and golf ultimately is a very physical sport and um, that's the thing that I, I wonder if has plagued me more than I've maybe considered over time and um, you know although my body generally feels very healthy you know you, you, when I had a I mean the injury I had was a quite a significant disc injury it then becomes a bit psychological as well and anyone who's had back injuries you know will know that it's just it's just the body responds differently over time and um so yeah there's been a physical problem and, and that's been the, maybe the part of the puzzle that i've not really thought about because it's not related to the mind but it's it's a kind of it's a really important piece that um has just been making the game harder for me how do you approach tournaments differently if at all than when you were a top 50 player in the world is there any difference right now uh, well, ironically, lately I've tried to go back to doing more of what I used to do, and that's very little. Um, you know, I when I last year I kind of ran myself into the ground a bit. Um, I practiced hard. I turned up to tournaments quite early, and I remember um, going to one tournament or a number of tournaments and arriving on the Monday. And, and Jen, my girlfriend, who I've been with for a long, long time, she said, well, "What are you doing? Why are you going to a golf tournament on the Monday? You know, you yeah. you wouldn't." you didn't even bother playing a practice around at Carnoustie when you nearly won the open or you'd go mm. and play U S opens and not even bother playing a nine holes. Cause it's so slow in the practice round. Why are you all of a sudden turning up on a Monday? And she had a point because I wanted to go home by the Thursday. You know, I, I don't really love being at tournaments a long time. Um, so this year I've not played a single practice well I did I think I played a practice round at the start of the year but basically since March I haven't played a practice round in fact my best two results this year have come on completely blind golf courses I've just turned up on the Thursday and not even seen and they've been my best two results and no shit. you know yeah and and so to me I'm taking the approach that I used to take which is get your skill set in order um and if you arrive at a golf course and you you can get you know you feel like you're playing well you're swinging well and you've got your skills in, in order then you're going to do all right and that's what used to happen with me and I'm um, trying to get back there. And, and then that way, you know, I feel like I can obviously you can get, try and get home on a Sunday night or for me, it's been Friday and Saturday quite often, but, <laughs> and then you're traveling out late. So you get a bit more time at home as well, which kind of frees up the schedule for you to play even more golf potentially. Um, but you're just putting an overall less effort on the tournament week. So I'm doing well, that well, again. What about, how often that. do you get to a hole and you're like, you, know, you get to the green and you're like, man, I wish I'd seen that hole at least once before i got here or does that not happen it just doesn't happen that often i mean a the, the course plan of the books are good uh, generally so you know it's all there if, if there's a if there's a hole or a couple that my caddy thinks you kind of need to see then maybe we'll go out and actually see it on the golf course walk out there but you know i'm kind of trusting the caddy like i used to and it's it's usually all in front of you mate so um 
just hit the golf shots. You know, it's like today I've made two or three bogeys with wedges and nine irons from the fairway. I mean, that's, that's not, not knowing the golf course. That's just being shit. And, you know, Tiger Woods sometimes does that, you know, and, and has done that, but the best golfers do that far less often, obviously. So, um, you know, you, you can know a course inside out, but if you've not got your, the game, then just forget about it really. Okay, folks, just a quick break in the action to tell you about our friends at Fairway Jockey. People ask us all the time, where's the best place to buy custom clubs? And the answer is honestly easy because there's only one place that offers the lowest prices for custom built clubs. It's fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework. No one beats their prices. You'll save up to 15%. And when you're talking about a bigger ticket purchase like golf clubs, that can really add up to some big time savings. So build your custom set today at fairwayjockey.com. I also want to tell you very quickly about inside golf, because just for 20 bucks a year, you can get over a hundred dollars in value. Plus some things that are priceless, some, some, uh, subscriber only newsletters. You get a subscription to golf magazine. You get some discounts, exclusive access to learn more, visit golf.com slash inside drop zone. That's golf.com slash inside drop zone. All right, back to Eddie. What's your favorite tournament to play every year? And then what is your favorite individual tournament that you have ever played? We do have some really iconic events on this tour. I think um, there's an event in South Africa, Leopard Creek, which is a special, special place that if anyone ever gets the opportunity to go to, they absolutely should. Um, just on the outskirts of the Kruger Park, that's always a kind of favorite yeah. of mine and Jen's. Um, and you get to see the big animals. Yeah, exactly. You get to see the big animals and, and do all that stuff. And it's just, it's just a special place. The golf is, is, you know, not the primary focus that week, really. Um, in terms of my favorite tournament I've ever played, it, you know, it'd be easy for me to say this because I did well, but genuinely the players championship I thought was, um, mm -hmm. as a, as an event on the whole, just unbelievable. The golf course, the atmosphere, the feel, everything about that place, um, is just, you know i think as good as it gets i would probably put that even ahead of augusta for me um and you know to me you'd have augusta and opens kind of just just below that but i thought the players championship was just an unbelievable event were you at the 2020 players right before it all shut mm, down no no I, I played the 2019 one but not the 2020 yeah 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 i couldn't remember where you were if you were at the in the crowd at the chain smokers concert before it all stopped <laughs> or not but um is that with the chain because i still i just saw the chain smokers performing at the next live event oh yeah. That you that? yeah right well yeah they were like the last you know it was like the nba had shut down and the all college sports <clears throat> had shut down and there was the pga yeah. tour like all right the chain smokers are still on for tonight and uh <laughs> so it was pretty funny that just the yeah. contrast in in styles there but you all right you were right before the pandemic you were I can't remember what it was. You were what 46th in the world or something in the world that was much different from where you are now. How damaging was that break to your golfing career? I think in hindsight, it was um, a bit of a disaster. Um, you know, I thought at the time taking six weeks off, not picking a club up was going to do me good um, on the whole, but I think it did me some good. Like, I mean, I spent that time focusing on, getting a lot healthier and I did I achieved that um you changed my diet quite a lot at the time and did a lot of training de-stressed the system if you like and, and that I felt great I mean I felt great but when I 
came back, my golf was, the thing is I entered the pandemic kind of not in the best place with my game and things were, you know, a player's swing or a player's, let's say pattern of movement is always kind of heading in a certain, it's heading some in some direction, right? And mm. you need to obviously reflect on it fairly often. And I would say every day or certainly every other day, just to make sure that, you know, you know what you're doing and you're kind of keeping it in the right direction. I think at the time, mine was heading in not a great direction. And then I just didn't focus on it for six weeks. So then by the time I picked the club up, I was I was moving so differently with a golf club um, than when I was just before it. And, I, mm. and if you go back to, you know, a couple, you know, way before that, it was, it was such a, it was worlds apart. So it didn't come at a great, it wasn't, it wasn't good for me to take that much time off just to not swing a golf club for that long. I lost probably a lot of mobility and range in the golf swing sense. Mm. It's amazing how actual, it's amazing how just by swinging a golf club every day it increases the mobility. I mean, it sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but it increases the mobility where you need mobility. Right. Um, so I just, yeah, I think in hindsight it was, it was not good. And uh, it took me a long time to, well, and arguably it, well, it, I think I, I'm not there back now, but certainly I think I'm a lot, a lot closer to where I was now than, you know, um, I was just after the pandemic I was miles away. What about the mental toll of, uh, I guess, watching it all happen and knowing that you had been in a certain status in the golf world and, and that that was slipping a little bit. And I mean, clearly you were fixating on certain elements of the pandemic too. There were moments reading your Twitter feed where I was like, Jesus said, step away from the internet, man. But, uh, but how, like, what, what was that mental process like? And, um, uh, and I guess, how do you think about it all now looking back? Well, I mean, I've never really viewed myself as a golfer. That's the thing. So I, I don't have any feelings about where I was, where I am, where I'm going as a golfer, you know, it, to me is I'm not a golfer. I'm a person. And I just play golf and, you know, I actually as life goes on, I hope I can do some other things too. Um, but so, yeah, that's how I, that's how I kind of reflect back on you know, the, the days before the pandemic or in 2018 when I was playing some better golf, you know, the pandemic was an interesting one because obviously, Hey, it's all, it's not water under the bridge. It's still obviously raring in much of the world, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I've switched off of it for the last six months, but, um, you know, uh, to me, I was just as terrified as anyone at the beginning of it all. Um, you know, telling my mom not to go to work, she's going to die. I mean, you know, it was, I was, I had consumed it all. And then at the end of 2020, when we were going into our second lockdown in England, I figured something mm-hmm. to me smelled a little off and then, yeah, I did go down a few, I wouldn't even call them rabbit holes. I just asked some questions because to me, there was a significant sense of something doesn't feel right. My intuition was telling me, well, I'm not sure I believe everything I'm being told here. And obviously then we can, you know, we don't mean we won't, and we don't need to go on from there, but um, you know, clearly everyone's has a different opinion on or an opinion on what we did and whether it was right or wrong. I stand by and say, I think the lockdowns yeah. and a lot of stuff was, was fundamentally a massive, massive error as a site. Now, listen, me personally, I didn't, I wasn't saying this stuff because I was, being harmed by them you know it's got not, that was not the case at all you know i owned assets that went up in value i got to spend more time with jen i got to spend more time with the dogs i 
I didn't not benefit. Yeah, my golf got a little worse, but fine. I'm not a golfer. I'm a person. I didn't really suffer the way a lot of people suffered. So I wasn't doing this because I found it difficult. I was saying what I believed because I thought it was wrong for society. And I, and I maintain that now. So, and I think much of what we're seeing now is a fallout of that. So, you know, yeah. that's my opinion on it. And obviously a lot of people can have different opinions, but uh, yeah, it was an interesting time for sure. And then, you know, the most interesting thing really was just because I'm not vaccinated and I didn't get vaccinated, seeing how that unfolded mm-hmm. was most interesting because probably, yeah. well, unquestionably for the first time in my life, you know, I was denied access to certain things just because of a decision or something that mm-hmm. I had done. And, and that was a new experience and def- definitely made me see things differently um, and see people differently, you know, watching people, you know, behave towards certain groups of people in a certain way because of the decisions they made. I thought it was, was very interesting. And, um, and obviously we're still witnessing that with people like Novak Djokovic and mm-hmm. whatnot. So, um, yeah, to so me, you're still not vaccinated. You, you've chosen still to not get vaccinated. Yeah, no, I'm not. And I mean, I had COVID at the start of the year and, you know, I did, I didn't find the illness particularly difficult at all. I mean, I will say that it's, it's, I found it, there's definitely been some viral hangover from it. it. It reminds me a little bit of when I had glandular fever. It's not quite as severe, but I definitely can notice that things aren't the same. So listen, I'm not denying COVID's a bad illness. I'm just, but I'm not vaccinated now. And, and you know, I, I won't at this point, but I won't obviously moving forward. If you, you get this far, then you're not going to go at this point. So um, yeah, but uh, no, it's still wearing on, isn't it? But um, we'll see. Do you feel like we've settled globally in sort of equilibrium that you would have just wanted us to see you know a year or two earlier is that a fair way to say it with regards to our approach to the pandemic i think so dylan and i think unfortunately there were a lot of people saying this was going to be the inevitability um well there were countries indeed and there were very few and far between but there were people saying that two years ago and obviously they were called all kinds of names and you know it obviously the way then information disseminates and who disseminates that information and who were being called, you know, so there were some very smart people being called names who, you know, were just as qualified as those actually making the decisions. And yeah, listen, that to me seemed pretty obvious fairly early in the pandemic that things were going to have to get to where we have got to. And I think we've wasted an enormous amount of time and caused a lot of heartache and a lot of, you know, a lot of division, let's put it that way between families and friends you know who just because of mm-hmm. all sorts of things right so um yeah listen I, I think that was dealing with nature you know i i one of my favorite smith's lyrics is nature is a language can't you read you know that's um it's it's true and some people just can't read nature all right i'm going to pivot out of a uh, vaccination conversation because drop zone is not a good epidemiology uh podcast but in terms of trusting sources and uh and who your trusted voices are in the golf world you've cited rory uh john rom justin thomas i guess who do you who have you been impressed is it those three guys is it other people who have you been looking to in these uncertain times i think those three Max, I, th- I think I saw Max do a clip mm. with the no laying up guys that I thought was, was good. Um, and there are clearly a lot of other guys as well who have said tidbits and I think would speak out, but probably well, who have thoughts or feelings towards it, but maybe you're keeping their cards a bit close to their chest. But, you know, I've had certainly players come up to me and big players actually, when I have seen them um, say, listen, I totally agree. 
Um, mm, interesting. So, and not just players as well, you know, other people in, within the game. Um, so I think, but that was similar to the pandemic, you know, so the same thing happened during the pandemic. So to me, you know, this, hum, this comes back to what I just said about me not seeing myself as a golfer. You know, I, I say these things because it's what I believe. It's what I think. And I'll say it. And it's a bit of a it attitude. Um, some guys maybe reach that point. Take a lot takes a lot longer for them to reach that point. Clearly with me, it probably doesn't take very long at all. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do I do think that Rory and, and Justin, things they've said, and John, Ram, you know, they have a, in my opinion, a pretty steady handle on the pulse, if you like, of of what the majority of people would think or feel. Having said that, I'm also aware that there are a lot of people who think the opposite would live, you know, and I see it on Twitter as well, like you referred mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I absolutely get there's an alternative opinion out there. I would just, you know, ask those people to extrapolate forwards and, and you know, say, how, how does it happen? You know, how does it work out? And to me, if as long as, yeah, like we discussed earlier on, you know, it, it's it's seemingly, I would say, seemingly impossible that all sides can at this point now come together. So, um, yeah, it's but, not clear that yeah. there's a major incentive for, I guess, any party at this point to really engage with the other party, right? Like, what does the PGA Tour get out of engaging and what does Liv actually get out of, I guess they get normalization to, uh, to some extent. You know, my sense is that if the PGA Tour and European Tour, but I'm going to add in the, the USGA, the Masters, the PGA and the, the RNA, let's say the custodians of professional sport or the professional game of golf, you know, they're looking at this and I think that Liv represents a kind of existential threat to the ecosystem, the way in which golf functions professionally. And ultimately, you know, those people are kind of responsible. Well, they are responsible for what happens in the future, for what, you know, system current juniors and amateurs are going to aspire to be part of, much like I was 15, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I agree with them. I happen to agree with this, this the conclusions that they come to about meritocracy um openness all of this stuff what golf should be 72 hole cuts you know these things are features of the game they're not bugs we shouldn't be trying to do we shouldn't be trying to become formula one you know i don't we this is golf and i think that there's a lot of yeah of course nothing's you know it's not all perfect but nothing is you know but the game of golf has i think so many positives about it and i think that they're trying to just uphold those standards and and they're kind of coming together and i think trying to protect much of what's good about golf and you know i like i say happen to agree with them and, and, I, and I think it will be very interesting to see what happens on the major front and with the world golf rankings and and um clearly you know the, the pga tour as as well the european tour has decided to well they've both come together and and you know it helps certainly helps us out for the moment that's for sure over here in europe and um you know, it's gonna it's gonna take in it's gonna take some guys in america to buy into that on the pga tour that'll be interesting um, to see how that all pans out, especially with the Corn Ferry. But um, listen, this is a time where, you know, the, the game of golf has changed and it is going to be different now moving forward. And I think there are going to be, there's going to have to be fewer by nature, by fewer opportunities for us guys and including probably the PGA Tour, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. We can streamline it. We can change things a little bit like it's already happening. Um but uh, you know, I, I, yeah, 
that's kind of what I would, I would say on it. It strikes me as funny that, you know, you said guys came up to you, uh, during the pandemic or, or to kind of support you for speaking out on that front. And, and then the same thing is maybe happening now, but it strikes me that you're sort of an interesting combination of things because, you know, this is maybe especially an American thing, but the, uh, the people who were most outspoken, I don't know, against COVID restrictions and mask mandates, I would say generally aligns with the group of people who are now in favor of live. And there's sort of this, this anti-media streak that goes along with that. And, and we're about to see this at Trump Bedminster. I mean, this is somehow this has all gotten extremely partisan. It's gotten political. It's about to get more political. Do you think that that's an interesting element of this? And and what have you, what do you make of that part of it? I have thought about it a little bit. Um, I would just say that systems are fragile, you know, and we should be careful about just trying to rip things up, you know, for either for ripping it up sake, as it maybe is relates to golf or as it relates back to COVID, you know, systems were, you know, things, lots of very fundamental things, parts of society were changed because of those restrictions. And I, and I was just always a little cautious about whether we should be doing that because if you create that much disequilibrium in a system, it's going to take a long time to recover. And I think lots of things that were actually in place were often, you know, reported as being negative. And yeah, maybe they are to some people, but actually they represent something that functions as a whole. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm all for, you know, I, I would fight for bloody hell. These guys right to make the decision to go across to live. I mean, that was what I was about mm-hmm. in the pandemic. Like, you know, I, I 100% would never stop anyone's, I wouldn't ever want to get in the way of someone having the right to make that decision. But equally, we should recognize that there are systems that are there for the collective good. And if we just go and rip them up or don't recognize their importance, then I think we're playing with fire. And I think we're discovering that now post-COVID. And, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I do support. I can recognize that things aren't ideal with the PGA Tour and certainly the European Tour too. But it's, it's just ultimately disappointing that they would, these guys would just, you know, just rather than try and maybe fix that or, or improve that and recycle their efforts differently um, and still get very well remunerated along the way mm. in that process, by the way, you know, that they, they just choose something completely different. I think it's unfortunate. And so that's, I think, if that makes any sense, to it, and that's kind of where I've been at with it, it's, um, you know, it's recognizing the importance of, you know, the systems and the institutions that are in place and, and they do do a lot of good as imperfect as they may seem sometimes. And I'm just kind of cautious to, and that, that's me, you know, I'm a bit of an anarchist sometimes, you know, I'm not, I mean, you know, my girlfriend. No, I think that's partly the me. point is like, you're, it's, it's a little bit harder to categorize you in like, oh man, I sure agree with Eddie on this thing, but wait a minute, that doesn't really line up with, with, uh, you know, my system of beliefs in another area. Uh, that seems to be it's the reaction to you in the public. I would say, like, oh, hold on. Oh. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, and I, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's you know, if that's how you you see it, and you think that's how a lot of people see it, then that's you know, I take that as a positive because for me, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who I've listened to, um, people like in the UK, you know, we have some very interesting commentators, whether it's politically or economically, you know, who have 
they might be deeply religious which i'm certainly not but mm -hmm. they might have opinions that i you know agree with entirely as it relates to other parts of society so i, I think you know it, it that's you know you would agree with me here that's the beauty of the human brain the human mind and the person mm -hmm. you know we can all be you know we're all very conflicted and complex and you know we can hold completely differing opinions you know somebody who i've got an interesting I'm really like Ben Coley on Twitter, who, you know, I'm sure you know, um, mm -hmm. the sports, um, sporting life, I think, or he's one of the betting guys, you know, Ben, I think is a yeah. very smart guy. Um, got a lot of time for Ben, you know, we really would have completely disagreed on the pandemic. I mean, completely, you know, with everything, we were 180 to one another, but I think with something like live, we probably completely agree. And I recognize somebody like Ben as being extremely intelligent. And, you know, at times it was difficult to kind of see that divergence of opinions within COVID, but at the same time, you know, I fully appreciate somebody like Ben and, and the way and his input to all topics, including COVID. So um listen, that's that's life. And I wouldn't as frustrating as it is sometimes and you know it can sometimes get a bit emotional, right? But um yeah it's you know it would be it would be a shame if, if that wasn't allowed to be you know function of, of what we are and, and is who we are. So we should be celebrating it. No, I think that that's a refreshing attitude. I think that that is I mean, I think that that's something that people have responded well to. Even when Justin Thomas was talking a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Dustin Johnson not being a, a bad dude just because he was going and joining Liv, that definitely resonated with people. Um, last Liv-related question, do you have a prediction one year, two years, five years from now where any of this is going to stand or does it just seem completely unknowable? I, I think... Um... I think the Saudis are going to continue buying up assets. I mean, you know, I'm looking at this now, you know, interestingly, they bought a major stake in Aston Martin uh, recently. Mm -hmm. um, they've bought Newcastle United Football Club. They're buying yep. the big brands, big assets across all industries. And I think that they are going to be a bit to the world like China was after the financial crisis. And they're going to they're going to come and bail out certain industries with their cash because they obviously have such a strong cash position with everything that's going on at the moment but crucially and this is where they differ from russia at the moment they're actually able to so you know there is an interesting five ten year future here with the saudis because i think politically over time they're going to become it's going to become untenable where the money comes from because of the west and our, our our vision of the climate, especially the climate as it relates to that and what, what's going to happen on policy. So I, I do think there's some interesting things that are going to happen politically between the West and Saudi Arabia over time. But that isn't going to, that isn't going to happen in the, in the near medium term, let's say within five years. And then therefore, I do think that the involvement with regards to the public investment fund and the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia is going to continue to be pretty enormous. And you know, I don't expect it to go away at all. And I, I just worry, however, that in as it relates to golf, um, this is what I push back against a little bit, is that they're trying to effectively buy up a sport. They're trying to tear down a little bit of the systems that are in place. This isn't like buying a football club, as I alluded to earlier. They are really trying to, and, and, and they, again, it's being spearheaded by Greg Norman, who clearly has, um, you know, a lot of ill feeling towards the BJ Tour. So I don't, I don't really like, all of that stuff. But, um, you know, I think they're buying up assets and I think that they see Phil Mickelson as an asset. I think they see Hideki Matsuyama as an asset. And the interesting thing, therefore, or consequently then for these guys is, is they are not independent in any way, shape or form. They're now employed. 
effectively by the, the this public investment fund, the Saudi Arabian government. And that's interesting, you know, that to me, they would pay $200 million for an asset like Phil Mickelson for three years, I think is a fascinating thing. Um, I don't see how they get any reward of even close to what they've paid for, but it doesn't matter what I think because they have the deep pockets and they're going to do it. So um, I think it's going to carry on, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a very obviously a very fragmented and divisive time in professional golf for the near future. Um, Similar scale of issue here. What do you, what's your prediction for the future of Eddie Pepperell's golf career this year, the rest of the season, the rest of this weekend, I guess, maybe just for starters. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, uh, you know, I've got an important six months really. Uh, I've got quite a lot of golf to play. You know, I'm going to be playing quite a lot in the next few months. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for me to try and turn things around. I, I can see it happening. I, I, I feel like it's close and obviously I hope it does happen. Um, what I will say is I've, you know, I do have intentions to kind of do something a little bit different as well um, towards the end of this year and beyond, you know, my, my interests of, of increasingly over time kind of feed away from golf as on the whole. And, you know, I have other interests outside of golf that I spend all my time thinking about. And, you know, I want to pursue that because I do feel somewhat um, intellectually unfulfilled by the game of golf. And uh, mm. I, that might sound, you know, although I was talking about it being a puzzle, I really enjoy trying to figure that out still with regards to golf. But, um, you know, it's and my golf, I should say. Um, it's kind of a cliffhanger. What, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? What sort of other interests <laughs> are you going to try to venture into? Well, I mean, listen, you know, my, I mean, as I, I've, I've had interest in finance and the markets and economics for years and years now. Um, and, it, and it's, for me, it's unusual. It's other than golf, the only thing that's actually persisted through time. You know, I've had other bits and bobs in my life where I've had a kind of short term interest and it's fizzled out. But this one has actually only got more strong over time and my interest in it. And, um, you know, I think I, I find it. I find it interesting. I find the wider world of kind of macroeconomics very interesting, especially at the moment for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, it's just something that I've, again, like I said, been interested in for a long time and it's growing and I want to kind of pursue that a little bit more. So I might try and do something in an ideal world for me next year. I would be doing something that would run concurrently with my golf that you know is uh, is aimed at maybe giving me some, some, some kind of qualification moving forward or um, with a kind of view to the future a bit more. Because ultimately, it's what I do anyway. I spend a few hours a day reading things, listening to things on that topic. So I, I kind of feel like I might as well actually put that time and energy to good use and um, you know, use it to expand my possibilities maybe down the road, really. It's interesting that I feel like that jibes well with your approach to practice rounds. I mean, I, I am certainly not comparing my golf career to yours because I was a played for a couple of years and was one of the worst professional golfers of all time. Um, but I was, I had a hard time getting fully engaged in practice rounds. And, and I wondered if that was maybe part of the reason that I didn't perform better. Um, but it's, I, I've always therefore thought that that's one of the most underrated bits of all of golf is just guys putting in the work when it's exceedingly boring to do so. Um, and maybe not finding it, it's exceedingly boring. Maybe that's the key. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't find practice boring. What I will say is, I mean, not practice actually, specifically, but charting. The, I mean, this is stuff that maybe you're not even doing stuff, right yeah. now. Charting the course no. and 
you know, hitting meaningless chips on the course that you're about to hit very meaningful chips on, et cetera, et cetera. No, I couldn't think of anything worse. Um, and <laughs> or many things worse. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't at this point, you know, I mean, I'm 31. I've, I played golf since I was four. So I've you know spent 25 years of my life and I, I was always a very hard worker as a kid. I've spent more than enough hours. You know, I know how to hit a golf ball. I know how to, I know how to do everything within the game of golf. And yet still, sometimes I don't, but what I take from that isn't that I, I don't spend enough time. It's that the time I do spend isn't right. You know, it isn't actually fixing and solving the issue. And that's why I've had a deep sense of frustration in the last 18 months, because I just have not been able to fix the thing that I've always historically been able to fix. You know, I've, so for me, you know, I don't associate time spent with success now. I, I really don't. I think I've spent more than enough time practicing in my life to be very good at golf. So the fact that I'm not, I don't, to me, doesn't correlate with time spent. It's, it's figuring it out. It's doing the right things. And I actually don't think you need much time in a day or a week, you know, in an off week or a tournament week, actually, to, to get those things right. And I think there are some very good examples in the game currently who do do that well I mean I used to be one of those guys you know I would spend an hour or two in my room well not an hour or two but an hour in my room just throwing a tennis ball around doing a drill you know I mean it's a tennis ball in one hand in your boxes and people would look at you thinking well that guy's nuts but it had meaning and it had direct relevance to my golf swing and it used to work the wait what was the drill thing, just a very specific way of training your movement yeah, exactly. Um, it was in my left hand. I'd put a tennis ball in there and get in posture and lift it up and kind of you know, throw the tennis ball down off kind of adjacent or level with my right foot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it had a, it was, it kind of was the same as the routine I had going on back in 2018, 2019, which I never liked doing because I thought I must have liked such an idiot. Um, but I had to do it because I kind of thought it was the only thing I could rely on and fully yeah. trust. So stuff like that, you know, to me, that, that, that's, I've craved that. I mean, that, that's the one thing I'm missing is, is that thing to just do, you know, for an hour a day um, and, and embed it. But the problem is I haven't, my movement pattern's so different now than what it was two years ago that those things that I figured out, they've stopped working and I haven't really been able to figure out a new thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm arguably there. I mean, I have, thought about it a little bit and i'm doing something slightly different and i definitely think it's helping me but it's uh it's you know it's, it's missing something a little bit still but, right, uh, but well, that runs into you know the the concurrent thing you know i actually think if i had something else to do you know you 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 shrink your time and obviously mm. when you create some scarcity then it almost forces you to use that time more wisely you know and that that is kind of i could i could envisage and certainly hope anyway lose by thinking that me doing something else would, would shrink my time for golf and actually would encourage and effectively force me to, to use that better. That was my, that's my, my goal. Oh yeah. I was always blown away by the reality of just how much time in the day there is for professional athletes, professional golfers included. Yeah. 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 Plenty of it. Um, last question. How's your, your red wine and chocolate consumption trending these days? Red wine, I hardly drink anymore. Um, very much for special occasions, which have been very few and far between. Um, I I kind of have gravitated more towards white wine, rosé. I had a period on the whiskey, um, but I don't know. That was that felt like it was bad for my brain. Um, so I like white wine. Um, it's a little bit harder. More like, 
yeah, I think that was the problem. Ironically, I've drunk that during the pandemic, so that might explain some stuff. Um, mm. I uh, chocolate, I love. I'll always love chocolate. It's um, yeah, I, I can eat. I can eat a lot of chocolate every day quite happily. I mean, you know, chocolate and wine. It's that's the kind of that's the, my go-to. That with the dogs and watching Stranger Things. I mean, me and Jen have just done the whole four seasons of Stranger Things again. Um, we're, we're we're in love with that show. I don't know if nice. you're into it, but. Yeah. No, I still haven't seen it, but more and more people are just kind of raving about it. I feel like, yeah. all right, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's maybe a good, that's a good mental state to leave things in thinking about Rose and chocolate and, uh, hanging out with your dogs and with Jen, uh, Eddie, best of luck this weekend and, uh, Thanks, best man. of luck the rest of the year. And hopefully we'll yeah. check in somewhere along the way. Sounds good. Thanks Dylan. Appreciate Appreciate it. Cool. All right, folks. That was Eddie Pepperell. I'm Dylan DeChair, and thanks for listening to The Drop Zone. Thanks to Connor for putting all this together. And uh, thanks to Eddie for coming on because, you know, you just you don't get a lot of professional athletes that are willing to kind of dig deep and, and think through things in real time on air. So it was a pleasure to have him. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>